Let's turn our Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel to get us started tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Second Samuel chapter 15. We'll read the first six verses to get us started tonight. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom, Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now that's the text tonight. Notice it again. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. I want to preach on a stolen heart. Let's pray. Father... We come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you tonight again for the filling of the Holy Spirit that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that there would even be an alarm go off tonight in our very souls for how close we may be to having our hearts stolen. Lord, I do pray that you would deal with us tonight, warn us tonight, and God move upon us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know the Bible says an awful lot about the heart. We find in the scripture a clean heart, we find a prepared heart, we find a fixed heart, we find a hardened heart, we find a right heart, we find a perfect heart, we find a settled heart and a new heart, and we find a thankful heart and a joyful heart. And in this passage, we find a reference to stolen hearts. Now, this is important because of what the scripture says about the heart. We live in a day where anything you've got can be stolen. You understand that? That's why, you know, some of you old-time Southerners, been around for a long time, you still remember the day when you never locked your house when you left. Nobody did. No one was going to come into your house and steal anything. It didn't happen. But today, you not only have it locked up, but you're locked and loaded, and you've even got an alarm to wake you up in the night or to call the police if somebody happens to enter in that should not be there. I mean, we're protecting ourselves as much as we can. We got things on our cars to protect us from having our cars stolen. Uh, We have to be careful when we walk down the street. After all, crime is is at an all-time high in this country alone, but it's that way around the world because of men's hearts. They are wicked. We have to be careful about our computers. You get on the Internet, man, there's a whole other problem. You get your identity stolen. You get all your money stolen. All it takes is one person able to get into your computer and get a password here and there, and they can find out every account that you've got. 
They, matter of fact, now I just saw an ad the other day for those who own property. Uh, the, uh, there's a title insurance because people have found a way, even though you've paid the money and you've got the papers at the house, they have found a way to get control of whatever land that you may have. And it's not hard. It's funny, it seems like it's hard to go through all the paperwork to buy a house, but it's easy for these people to steal a house. Everything is stolen, but really the most, the most precious possession that we have, we don't give a thought to protecting it from being stolen. And that's our heart. Matter of fact, it'll be stolen before you know it, man. It's long gone. You've got to be so careful with the heart. Matter of fact, we even have LifeLock. Now, they don't protect people from stealing stuff from you, but they help you to get some of it back, at least they say, up to a million dollars. But you've got to pay for that too. It's amazing how much you have to pay for to keep part of what you've got. And that's the way of society. I remember the first time that I was in Uganda and we preached at the prison there that was in Masindi. And uh, those prisoners, when they came in, man, they didn't have hardly anything. And, I mean, their clothes were ragged. They, they had T-shirts. They'd be in shreds. And you wonder, why are they still wearing that? It doesn't cover anything. But it was all they had. And they had to keep it with them or somebody else would steal it. That's the way of mankind. Now, unfortunately, of all our possessions, as I said, we are the most careless with, with our most important possession. That's our heart. Every parent has to be concerned about losing the heart of their children. As long as you have their heart, well, you basically usually have their heart when they're very young because they don't spend any time on the Internet. And they're not around people that uh, are out there to steal their hearts if they can and influences to steal their hearts. As long as God has your heart, you can make it through most anything. But you've got to make sure that nobody comes along and steals it. Now, there are some basic truths that are true about everybody's heart. Your heart, my heart, makes no difference. This is true about everybody. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You have to understand this heart wants to go astray and this heart will deceive me. You've got Hollywood that teaches people, follow your heart. Well, if you do that, then you're headed for destruction. The Bible says in Proverbs that it is a fool that trusteth his own heart. You can't trust your heart. Your heart will lead you astray. Uh, and somebody starts spouting that ridiculous Hollywood nonsense. Just walk away shaking your head because that whole philosophy will bring about destruction. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Follow the word of God. The word of God is always right. Genesis 8, 21 declared, For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, He declares, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The issues of life that you face at all the different stages of your life depend on you keeping your heart or you will lose it. Setting your heart today does not necessarily ensure that it will be settled tomorrow. The psalmist said in Psalm 57, 
my heart is fixed, O God. I will sing and give praise. But then we find 51 Psalms later, he has to say it again. My heart is fixed, O God. Hey, I believe at one time David believed his heart was fixed. But then he ended up committing his sin with Bathsheba, having her husband murdered. And he had to come back and get right. Created me, he prayed, a new heart. Created me a clean heart. He wanted a clean heart before God. You've got to keep your heart. Well, what are some of the dangers that we face about our heart? Now, this gets real personal. This gets down to us individually. And some may have already lost your heart. And there may be an opportunity for you to get it back. But some may be on the verge of losing your heart. But don't be naive. Don't be naive. This world will lie to you and your heart will just... Take it in if you're not careful. Now, notice a couple of things. In the passage that we have here, one great thief of the heart is the caterer. Now, I'm not talking about the person that brings a bunch of food to a party. I'm talking about the person that will tell you everything you want to hear so that they can get into you to where you trust them. This is where you have to be careful with quote-unquote friends who always agree with you about everything. In all of your relationships, your friend always agrees with you and your perspective of that relationship. Think about some truths about the story that we read. David is king, and David was the one who was the anointed of God, not Absalom. God did not put Absalom on the throne. He put David on the throne. David's judgment would be with more of a total view. When the people would come to him for whatever the problem might be, he would try to look at all of it. I learned a long time ago, people come in for counseling. If you just believe everything they say, you're an idiot. Because everybody comes to you with their own perspective on the problem. And they may be right about some of it. I'm reminded of a a commercial that was on several years ago. Uh, it was, was it the Hemi engine that uh, Chevrolet had? It was some kind of engine that had a name like that. Anyway, the commercial started out. Here's a picture of a man in his pickup truck, and he's going up a hill. He's slinging mud right and left, and he is just, he's enjoying it. Big old smile on his face. And then the next picture is a picture of a lady sitting in a truck, and she is reading and then looking out, and she's enjoying the scenery, and everything looks wonderful. And then the camera backs off, and those two people are in the same truck at the same time. And I'm going to tell you what, there's been a lot of marriage counseling I've done over the years that after hearing her and then hearing him, I wonder, are they in the same marriage? Because you've got two totally different views of everything that's going on. Well, here's David. He's the king. He has to make decisions. By the way, when I have to make decisions concerning the church, I have to make decisions with the entire ministry in view. I can't make it with just one ministry in view because we've got a lot of ministries that go on and it's all got to go together. And I've got to make sure that we do keep the main thing, the main thing. And what affects that plays a big part in any decisions that are made. But a lot of people don't think about that. For instance, if they're involved in one particular ministry, like, oh, let's say the bus ministry, then they think, boy, every, boy, the bus ministry is so big. I say a lot about it. I love the bus ministry, but it's not the only ministry that we have. Uh, the Christian school takes up an awful lot of time and a lot of money. 
And you've got to make sure so many things to be done with the Christian school. But it's just one ministry in the church. And I'd let, I'd let the Christian school go before I'd let it harm what we're really doing. You understand? You've got to keep things in perspective. And it's that way about life, by the way. Also, David's judgment. Uh, by the way, Absalom's view was always toward himself. When he's telling this guy, if I was the judge, I'd rule in favor of you. When he's telling them that, he's not thinking about that guy. He's thinking about winning that guy's heart for himself to use. That's all he's thinking about. Now, that person that he's talking to feels, hey, this man appreciates me. He didn't. Absalom didn't appreciate that man one bit. He didn't appreciate He just wanted that man's support. He wanted that man to side with him. That's all that he wanted. David's decision was final. Absalom's was not. Absalom was your Monday morning quarterback right here. I mean, after all, you're never going to have Absalom have to face the consequences if people followed his direction because he's not the king right here. And we understand David was just a man, but he was God's man. And Absalom is wanting to be the man sitting on David's throne. And so, in other words, it was a regular... Pennsylvania political campaign. Uh, but here's Absalom. He's saying, you're right. If I were king. I mean, it's interesting the, how generous that he is in his ruling over something that really cost him nothing. None of his decisions stood. His judgments were made with only one point of view, and it was him. Look out for someone who always sides with you. Get this Bible verse. This is key. A lot of folks, we want all our friends to just agree with us on everything. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend and the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Some people that are praising you are not doing it for your help. They're doing it for your hurt. I'm reminded of a pastor that was up in Tennessee. He was a good man. Uh, He's in heaven today. Uh, He built a great church. He was at the same church for 40 years. Did a tremendous job. Uh, When he was about in year 35, 36, he brought a youth pastor in. And the first couple of years, things went well. But he started making inroads with different families of the church. And he'd get around and he'd just make his little comments here and there. Tell them how wonderful they are. And if the pastor had to make a tough decision, he'd go over and he'd, you know, make make the other people feel very comfortable and everything's nice and all of that. That young man split his church that he had spent 40 years building. Split his church. And when I saw that pastor, good man, godly man, whose burden was for the church, not the position, his ministry was in ruins all those years, all that time, all that prayer for individuals ruined by a caterer. Somebody who simply came in and wanted things for themselves. So you got the cater. If you're not careful, they'll steal your heart. Number two, then the companion. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 11. Now in 1 Kings chapter 11, it's actually quite a number of companions that we're going to look at first. Notice in 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now the scripture says, But King Solomon loved many strange women... 
together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon claim unto these, clave unto these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Now notice verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. Now we know from Deuteronomy that when a king came in, there were two things that a king of Israel was forbidden to do. They were not to multiply wives to themselves. And I would say he was doing a lot more than multiplying here. 700 wives. I mean, every day had to be a wedding. Think about that. The flowers they must have went through for all that. Princesses on top of that and three hundred cucumber vines. Never have figured out what that's for. No, concubines, obviously. Uh, They had to be strange women in order to take part in something like this. But nevertheless, think about it for a moment. He was having wives of the Moabites, of the Ammonites, of the Edomites, the Zidonians. They all worshipped other gods. And they turned his heart Away from God. Solomon got off to such a great start. His opening prayer about leading the people. God blessed that. God honored that. God blessed him in the building of the temple. God gave him a great kingdom. But he lost his heart because of his companions. Solomon's doing things he never thought that he would have done. They turned away his heart. You have to be careful who you run with. Now in the world... And we all have to have contact with the world. We're not hermits. We're not monks. We have to have contact with the world. But contact and close friendship are two totally different things. It's one thing to be kind to people. It's one thing to be nice to people. It's another thing to have them as your best buds. Your companions will change your heart. You better make sure you pick the right kind of companions. It will cost you. You'll lose your hearts. You see, a lot of times, the friends that we have won't tell you the truth. We think a friend is somebody who backs us. They're they're for us. You say, well, that's just the thing, Pastor. You're not for us. Why? Because I tell you the truth. Matter of fact, that's a sign of friendship, is that you tell them the truth when they need to hear it. But you don't support me. No, I don't support people in bad decisions. You make a bad decision. I'm not going to say, way to go. That's dumb. Now, we love people even when they make bad decisions. When they make bad decisions that hurt themselves, yes, we do. I remember when we went to to Tennessee Temple, and we're talking about going back to 1974 uh, when I went to Tennessee Temple, And we got to meet a nice couple that came. They were from Georgia. He had been called to preach. He had uh, worked at a bank when God called him to preach, and he came there. And uh, Pat, that was his name, and Barb was his wife. Uh, They got involved in the chapel ministry, 
And so they worked with us for about two or three months in the chapel ministry. Became good friends. We'd go over there uh, once a week or once every other week, and we'd have a meal together. They'd come to our house. But we noticed something beginning to happen. They became dorm parents over one of the smaller dorms that was at Tennessee Temple at that time. And uh, it was an older building, so they had some problems in it, but they were living in the dorm. And they would come over and they would badmouth their living conditions, badmouth the school, badmouth the people that were, uh, that were over the whole thing. And, I, and finally, we just had to come to the place because it was affecting us. It was affecting our attitude. I mean, I believe God had not only called me to preach, he had called me to go to Tennessee Temple to get what they had. And I wasn't going to get what they had complaining. It always amazed me, some of these students, that they've, they've never built a school, they've never had to run a school, they've not, never been responsible for more than one or two other people at the most in their life, and yet they think they know how to do better something that somebody else built and ran for over 40 years. And they're not afraid to tell everybody. But anyway, so they complained, and we finally made the decision. We just couldn't hang around them anymore. We stopped having them over. We stopped going over because we did not need that in our life. You've got to be careful about your companions. The Bible says of Amnon, the oldest son of David, that he had a friend. And that friend was a cousin by the name of Jonadab. Listen to me. Sometimes it's not good to have your kids running with family. Here was Amnon running with Jonadab. Amnon had some bad desires. If if Jonadab had been his friend, he would have rebuked him. He didn't do that. He said, aren't you a king's son? It'd be all right. And he ended up defiling his half-sister, Tamar. He ended up being killed then by Absalom. And his friend, his friend, is one who helped him to lose his heart and bring about his death. You better be careful who you run around. I have found quite often, by the way, when people come into the church and they have kids, you can find out what their kids are like by watching to see who their kids gravitate toward. Quite often, you know, if they gravitate toward the rebellious and the worldly, that's because that's what they are. I can't tell you over the years how many times I've had people say to me when they have trouble with their child, well, they've just been running around with the wrong crowd. And I'll say to them, no, they are the wrong crowd. That's why they're running with the wrong crowd. That's what they are. That's who they enjoy being around. That's where their heart's at. They've lost their heart. Companions, be careful who you hang around. And every young person here, every young adult here, you have to be careful who you hang around. You may not be able to help who you work with in your job, but you better be careful about who you hang around or you will lose your heart. Let me give you a third thing. You've got the caterer, you've got companions, and then you've got wrong convictions. Over in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, in verse 2, the scripture says of Amaziah the king, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Amaziah ended up being one of these guys who did a lot of good things. 
But then he felt like it was all right for him to also disobey God if he wanted to. Amaziah would have been of the group that said this, he, uh, because I do right, therefore I am right. Doing right doesn't make you right. Doing right doesn't mean that you are right. You remember Jehu, the guy that drove furiously? When he got up in rebellion against Ahab and killed him and ended up killing uh, Jezebel? That was the right one, wasn't it? Yeah, okay. Uh, when he killed them, had them killed, he went to Jonadab and he said, is your heart right like my heart is right? And watch, he went out and he slew the prophets of Baal. And then when he became king, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. His heart wasn't right. It wasn't right. But this thought that because I've done some things right, therefore I am right. You realize that you can tithe and even double tithe and not be right with God. You, would, you could only wear the right clothes and never wear that which is immodest or that which is of the opposite sex. And that doesn't mean you're right. I mean, you can have a bad heart in that. You can have a proud heart with that. Uh, having the right standards. How about not drinking? You can go through your life, never touch a drop of alcohol. But that doesn't mean your heart's right. Now, I do believe if your heart's right, you're going to do right. But doing right doesn't necessarily mean that your heart is right. Now, it shouldn't be confusing. It's really easy to understand because I think every one of us have seen people who, outwardly speaking, their life looked right. But it was obvious from their attitude that they weren't right. We've got to be careful about that for ourselves. You remember in Luke chapter 18, you've got the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee, when he went to pray, Jesus said this of him, that he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee, I'm not as other men are. Now, he prayed thus with himself. And basically, the way Jesus words it, it's like the man's calling himself God. Because basically, that's the way he looked at himself. He had set the standard. I don't do this, and, but I do do these things. I tithe. I, I pray every day. He did all the right things, it would seem. But he didn't go to his house justified. The Pharisee bowed his head, and, or the publican bowed his head and simply cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went to his house justified. His life hadn't been right. But he developed a right heart toward God. You better be careful before you look around and say, who are you to question me? Who are you to question me? Look at all the things that I've done. Now, wait a second, where's your heart? Reminded of evangelist John McCormick. I remember hearing him tell the story about being in class back in the 1950s at Tennessee Temple. And he said one day he was sitting at a desk waiting for class to start. And another young man came in, threw his books down on the table and said, Bless God, I just prayed all night long. And uh, John McCormick said to the guy, he said, Sure to give you a humble spirit, didn't it? And the guy said, well, how would you like a punch in the nose? He said, gave you a sweet spirit too, didn't he? He may have prayed all night long, but there was something wrong with his heart. This idea, because I did thus and thus and thus, I must be okay. That's like Jesus tells the story in John or Matthew chapter 21, 
when he says, and many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out demons and in thy name done many wonderful works, then will I profess unto them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They thought their works meant they were right. It's wrong convictions right there. Having convictions do not mean you're right with God. Lack of them can mean you're wrong with God, but having them doesn't mean that you are right with God. And then finally, conceit. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's take a look. Go over to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I begin reading in verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after that the king slept with his fathers. Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Now go down to verse 16. But when he was strong, still speaking of Uzziah, this good king for 52 years, a good king. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him and with his fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men and they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Now he ends up, because he burned incense in the temple place, that God struck him with leprosy so that he couldn't be buried even with the other kings of Israel. Fifty-two years a good king. He was a king, and kings had a lot of responsibility. They could do a lot of things, but what they couldn't do was they couldn't do what the priests were supposed to do. He was a king. He wasn't a priest. Boy, people need to know their place, become experts in their own jobs, and do them. Moses lost the opportunity to go into the promised land. He was not given the instruction to smite the rock. He was to speak to the rock. That was it. But he smote the rock, took the place of God upon him. And after 40 years of walking with that group of complainers, God said, because you didn't honor me, you will not go into the promised land, Moses. Forty years of being a great leader. Forty years without his prayer, the people of Israel would be the people of Moses. Because of his prayer, they'd been spared many times. But I don't care how good you think you may be. It just doesn't allow you to do wrong and get by with it. David didn't get by with it. I remember there was a famous message that was preached several years ago by a well-known pastor. 
whose messages many times had blessed my life. But it was a merit. I, I, when I got the tape, I was absolutely dumbfounded and shocked. Title of the message was Merit and Demerit. And what the preacher was preaching in that, here are two men. Both of them commit immorality. This man over here, though, was a soul winner and won many souls to Christ throughout the year. This man over here never went out, never told anybody, never said anything to others. But they have both committed the same sin. This man, because he had not been serving the Lord, God just takes him out, moves him aside. He's worthless. He doesn't have any merits to make up for the demerits he got by his immorality. This man over here, though, because he'd been so winning and he had won people to Christ, he had a number of merits so that God could say, well, you've got enough merits that you'll be okay, and I'll still use you. Horrible message. An embarrassment for any Bible preacher to preach something like that. Because the Bible says, to whom much is given... Much shall be required. You understand that being good and doing right, that's wonderful, and you ought to be good, and you ought to do right. But that doesn't bring you a pass for doing wrong. As a matter of fact, the better you know your Bible, the longer you serve your God, the more responsible you are to keep serving your God and to do right. Now, obviously, part of the reason for that would be this. As you serve the Lord and he blesses you, more and more people take notice of who you belong to. And you end up with more influence on people. And when you do wrong, that person who's been serving the Lord and has accomplished a lot for the Lord, that person's life, when they fall, affect far more and undoes most of the good that they did. Many people are hurt because of it. The reality is you don't earn a bunch of merits that allow you to do wrong. And you need to get a hold of that. You need to understand that. Conceit, personal conceit will do you in. So the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Your heart can so easily be led astray. The caterer can lead it astray. Companions can lead them astray. False convictions can lead them astray. Conceit over how good you've been, that you can lose your heart in that. So how do you keep your heart? Well, let's go to it for a minute. Go over to the book of uh, Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Notice beginning in verse 23. There's an an entire passage here for you. He just doesn't tell you to keep your heart. He tells you how to keep your heart. Notice in verse 23, he says, keep thy heart with all diligence. In other words, you've got to work at it. Keeping your heart today doesn't keep it kept for tomorrow. The apostle Paul put it this way in the New Testament. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I die daily. Now notice, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. 
You know, you can't always guarantee a right head, but you can guarantee a right heart. And making sure that your heart is right is absolutely essential. Notice verse 24. Here's, here's how he tells you to do it. Put away from you a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from you. Put a complaining mouth away from you. There are some people that just have a complaint about everybody. It, it, the politicians are amazing today. I don't care what party it is, whether it's Republican or Democrat or whatever. Whatever the other side does, the other side's against it. When they do something wonderful and right that the other side would have done if they'd have thought of it first, but now they're against it because the other side did it. And boy, they'll get on the news programs and they'll say some of the most absolutely outlandish things. And you're thinking, you know, these people don't believe we can think at all. They don't believe we have a brain. They get it. But that's the way they are. That's what makes this whole time of year with all the voting that goes on. It's what makes it so unbearable. So we all just want to say, shut up. I don't want to hear it anymore. But you know that goes on at work. That goes on in churches where people feel like I've got to make sure. I've heard people say this. Oh, man, I just love our church. Our church is so great. Now, I don't agree with Brother Allison about everything. Why did it even have to be said? I know there's nobody here that agrees with me about everything. That's my wife. (laughs) And there may be some times where I don't agree with myself. Or at least wonder about myself. But the truth is, why would we even have to say something like that? Well, I want to make sure that people know that. And just let them pick whatever. Always kills me when somebody comes and says something like this. Well, there's a group of us and we... Oh, you've been talking. There's a group of us that have a problem. Now, that group usually is very limited. You find out. But if you say a group, that makes it sound like they got a stronger case. You know what I mean? He says, put away from your forward mouth. He said, oh, I don't agree about everything. All right, ask God to straighten me out. Do you believe God answers prayer? I believe God answers prayer. I believe, I, I believe Brother Tony here could pray and straighten me out through his prayers. Or God would straighten him out. But prayer is work. I mean, Really? Put away from you. You want to keep your heart. Put away from you a forward mouth. We've got a lot of, I, I do believe we have a wonderful church. But we don't have anybody in it that's perfect. Nobody. Nobody. That's perfect. We're all in different areas in our Christian life. We're in different stages of growth. And sometimes we're going through a battle. Sometimes you're going through a battle that no one else knows about but you. And we want to sit and find fault with one another? What about when you're going through a battle no one else is going through? And that's tough going through those battles. Put away from you. You want to keep your heart. See, this is the goal. It's not so that everyone knows how wonderful I am. I can pick out everybody's shortcomings. What it is, is I want to keep my heart. So I keep my heart. I, listen, all over the country... I I brag on Madison Baptist Church. I think we got the greatest people in the world. And I believe the Kendrick family would agree with that right now. (laughs) I mean, good night. We took care of them pretty good, didn't we? 
Thank God for his blessing, so we were able to. <laughs> then notice, he says in verse 25, let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. You've got to be careful what you look at. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Jesus said in Matthew 15 and in Mark chapter 7, it's not that which goes into the body that defiles the body, but that which comes out of the body that defiles the body because it comes from the heart. Your mouth is an overhead projector of what's on your heart. i never forget, I had a man come to me, not here. I was pastoring in Temple Baptist Church in Manchester. And this fellow came to me and he, he wanted to complain about the song leader. Now, my song leader didn't know how to read music. But that was okay because the piano player didn't know how to read music either. But they both knew the same songs. So I was fine. And they did good. And this guy came to me and he said, Pastor, I want to talk to you about Brother Bailey. He said, now, I don't want you to think I'm a complainer. And I looked at him and I said, that's exactly what you are. That's all that ever comes out of your mouth. You're complaining about people. You've got nothing good to say about anything if you're going to talk about anything. Well, I wanted to be a friend, so I, I wasn't going to lead that on. I, I don't like to hear it. It was unnecessary. Then he says, Let you, I got off the, my second subject here. Let thine eyes look right on. You do have to be careful what goes in there. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes, the psalmist said. You've got to be careful what you allow your eyes to see. Now, you can't always, you can't, how do you stop a first look if you don't know? <laughs> but after that first look, then it's your choice. And there are times you just have to turn your eyes away. And that could be from a whole number of things, and I'm not going to go through a list of them. That's why it's very careful. If you have a TV, that you control what you watch. If you have a computer, if you can't control what you watch, get it out of your house. If you can't control it, get it out of your house or you will lose your heart. And then he says, here's the third thing. First, put away the forward mouth. Let thine eyes look right on. And then verse 26, ponder the path of thy feet. Let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Now look at this. Remove thy foot from evil. What did Joseph do in the book of Genesis when approached with evil? He ran. He ran. We had to flee from sin. Get away from it. Well, people think I'm weak if I'll do that. I don't care what people think. Get away from it or you'll lose your heart. He's, the subject here is keeping your heart with all diligence. If you want to keep from losing your heart, you don't need to call LifeLock. You don't need another insurance program. You've got God's instruction right here how to keep your heart. Amen. You get around a caterer, say, whoa, I don't need to be fellowshipping with this person. I'm not going to let them steal my heart. You get companions that are saying things that they shouldn't be saying and allowing and they're not willing to tell you the truth when you're wrong, get away from them. You don't need them. They'll steal your heart. You start getting some wrong convictions that somehow because you, you've done some things right, that that makes you more spiritual than other people, makes you okay. Careful, you'll lose your heart with the wrong convictions. You're still responsible to do right 
all the time. Keep your heart with all diligence or you'll end up like Israel. And boy, what a mess that became. Because they allowed Absalom to steal their heart. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. May we be sober and vigilant, as Peter wrote. For our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, doth walk about, seeking whom he may devour. Lord, may we guard our hearts. Please, Lord, maybe perhaps, Lord, during the preaching, some folks recognized how the evil one was using different influences to try to steal their hearts. I pray tonight they'd get it stopped. You've got a way right here. It's very, very plain in the scripture. Do a work in our hearts that we may keep our hearts. I believe, Lord, that you did some work in our hearts last week with the revival and the good preaching that we heard. Lord, I wonder since then how many things that we've heard to steal our hearts away. And we've gotten so close to you. Lord, deal with us in the invitation, I pray. Have your way in every life. In Jesus' name.